Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, March 28th, tonight I'm at Ball State University in Muncie, Indiana. It starts at 7 p.m. All the details are on our website, crossexamined.org. That's crossexamined with a D on the end of it. Look for events, Frank Turk calendar. I will also be streaming it uh, live on our YouTube channel and other platforms, so you can watch there. We're doing I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. We'll take a lot of Q&A as well. Then on Thursday, March 30th, I'll be at Indiana University, Purdue University. That's a combination university there in Indianapolis, Indiana. Again, all the details on our website. That is also at 7 p.m. And uh, for those of you that uh, want to learn more about how to defend the Christian faith, don't forget this summer, we're going to be in Albuquerque, New Mexico for the Cross-Examine Instructors Academy. All the details are on our website. If you want to be a part of that, you need to apply. We only take 60 students We've got a great group of instructors that will teach you on how to become better as an apologist, how to answer questions. We'll have Greg Kokel. We'll have Natasha Crane, Elisa Childers. We'll have Jorge Gill. We'll have Bobby Conway, Richard Howe, Brett Kunkel, several others. Go to our website, crossexamine.org. Click on events. You'll see CIA. That's this summer, July 28th. I think it's the first day. It's a full three-day event in Albuquerque, New Mexico. So I hope to see you all there. And don't forget, starting this week, Life's Compass, Jesus, You, and the Essentials of the Faith, an online course you want to be a part of. If you want to know what the essentials of the faith are and you want to know other important beliefs, doctrines about Christianity, you want to join Life's Compass. I'll be your instructor. We'll be together for six live Zoom Q&A sessions And uh, all of that can be found on our website, crossexamine.org. Just go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses. You'll see Life's Compass, Jesus, You, and the Essentials of the Faith. And uh, this 10-week course, I think, I think it's 10 weeks. Anyway, it has like 17 hours of video plus the live, the six live hour-long Q&A sessions. So you'll want to be a part of that. Hope to see you online soon. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Midweek I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist podcast. We normally go a little bit deeper into some of these issues. We don't have any interruptions. And we are here to talk about a topic that can be a little bit challenging, but we know you can handle it. We're going to go back into the archives of Christian thought and talk about a philosopher, theologian, and his one of his, or one or two of his ways to show that God exists, and I'm talking about Thomas Aquinas, and we have Dr. David Haynes with us here today. He's not only a graduate of SES, he has his doctorate as well, and he now teaches at Bethlehem, Bethlehem, College, Seminary, yep. Bethlehem College and Seminary in Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota. And David, you got involved in Aquinas. How? How did all this happen? Uh, it was through reading the works of uh, Norman Geisler. I got into his Norman, Norman Geisler's uh, systematic theology, you know. <laughs> okay. All right. um, yeah. Got into his works and his, uh-huh. his apologetics. He's quoting Aquinas all over the place. Yep. And uh, so I just realized this guy's 
probably important, you know, right. so I started reading Aquinas. Uh, this was before I went on to do my master's and uh, actually ended up going to do my master's at SES in part because of uh, Geisler's works. So yeah, for those who don't know, Thomas Aquinas lived from about 1224 AD to about 1274, 5 AD, yep. died, what, 49, 50 years old, somewhere yeah, like had, that? Yeah, he didn't have a very long life, yeah. uh, but had, he did put out a lot of publications right. and, during and that time. What, what would you say his best known work is? His most his, his best known work is the Summa Theologiae. Uh -huh. uh, that's where most people will go to get, his, get to understand Aquinas. Okay. Uh, I would... Also suggest if you're if you're interested in apologetics, it might almost be easier and a better reference to go to the Summa Contra Gentiles. Okay. Though, small qualification there, the arguments that he presents in the Summa Theologia, the five ways, yeah. he goes to a much greater depth in the Summa Contra Gentiles, and they some sometimes can be a bit overwhelming. Uh -huh. uh, however, that would be the work that I would say you need to go to for his more uh, apologetic. Uh, uh, of, or defense of the Christian faith. And, and that was basically his work against the Muslims, wasn't it? Some people think so. Yeah. Uh, some people think that it was written in order to help uh, Christian missionaries into Islamic uh, con uh, countries. Right, right. To, to be able to defend the gospel better. So yeah, that, that's one of the theories on what that's for. And Norm Geiser wrote a book uh, on Thomas Aquinas, which is a good kind of summary of yeah. his of his thought. Should old Aquinas be forgotten? That was the name yeah. of the... Uh, <laughs> it's a great introduction to Aquinas for someone who is, you know, doesn't know who Aquinas is. Yeah, I would recommend reading that book. That's sure. right. That's right. I think Ed Fazer also has a book on Aquinas, a popular level book yep. you might want to avail yourself of. But let's talk a little bit about Aquinas's... We're not going to talk about all five ways. Um, maybe we'll talk about way number one and also, if we have time, way number five. And actually, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you that... Uh, may have seen our normal arguments for God, cosmological argument, teleological argument, moral argument. Those are the ones we normally give on a college campus. I think properly understood, the arguments we're going to talk about today are better arguments, but the problem is they often take some theological background knowledge to understand, and you can't yeah, you can't you can't give that to somebody in an hour lecture, right? Yeah, yeah. You, you, you have to you have to kind of provide too much background knowledge to get to these better arguments for God. And these yep. arguments, ladies and gentlemen, don't require any scientific uh, knowledge or nope. or data. They don't require much empirical import. They're nope. more philosophical arguments That's that right. God exists. Now, they do begin in experience. Yes, but you don't have to be a natural scientist to understand them. Right. He's not appealing to the natural sciences. He's appealing to what we experience in everyday life. And almost everyone from the atheistic side that tries to dismiss Aquinas doesn't understand Aquinas. That, that's my experience. Yeah. And there, there, there has been a lot of debate on him, and I just right. haven't seen many people who have successfully refuted these arguments. All right. So buckle up, ladies and gentlemen. Let's talk about Thomas Aquinas's first way to show that God exists. What is it, David? Sure. So it's worth noting, Aquinas thought this was this first way was one of the most obvious ones. Okay. And so he begins with, he, he begins with the observation that something changes. He, he doesn't say everything changes. He just something is changed. Okay. And now, kind of like the background, quick quick background detail of this, uh, change is the actualization of a potency, which is kind of a complicated way of saying, uh, if we put something like this, uh, if let's say you have a seed, uh -huh. that seed, like an apple seed, has the ability to become an apple tree. The potential. The to potential become. to yeah. become an apple tree. Right. And okay. so when when that when that seed becomes the apple tree, it is changed. Uh huh. And so that's where that's that. Um, that's what we're talking about with the act to potency, the mm -hmm. change uh, that he's talking about here. Okay. And so he just says, look around, something changes. 
All right. right? All right. We, well, we, it does. Okay. Yeah. You got that. He doesn't say everything changes. Right. Okay. Now he asked the question. Okay. If something changes, uh, he says it must be changed by another. All that right. one is less intuitive for people. Yeah. Like well, well, how does it, how does an apple seed, how is an apple seed being changed by another? What does so, that mean? Part of what's going on here is that the idea is that you don't get that potency actualized uh -huh. unless you have something that exists already in yes. order to actualize it. And so another way of looking at it with that seed in the tree is that that seed doesn't, the tree doesn't come into being. That's uh -huh. that what, that's what's in potency. Right. It doesn't come into being without the seed. Right. And then on top of that, there's things acting upon the seed so that the seed can become that tree. Okay. And so you can think about sun and rain and all of right. the, the, the soil, soil yeah. and all of this stuff. Okay. Uh, that the seed has other potencies. I mean, right. it could become squirrel food. Right. Right. It could, and then so doing become dirt. Uh -huh. Those are, that's another potency of the seed. Now, in order for that potency to be actualized, the squirrel acts upon the seed okay. and brings that to be. Um, you can think about other things. You know, I have a water bottle on the table in front of me. It has the potency to be at a different position uh -huh. on that table. But unless I act upon that bottle to put it there, or maybe an earthquake, which we wouldn't want to happen, right. or something like that, it, you know, I move it there. Okay, uh, some outside act has acted upon that yes. to move it. Okay. So that's our second second point. You know, right. you know, anything that's changed is changed by another. So right. It's like, okay, okay, do we get that? Okay, that's fine. Now, he then goes on and says, well, if that other that is bringing that about is itself changed, then that second that second premise, that principle, applies to it as well. And so if, if that water bottle was moved by my hand, well, was the hand moved? Mm -hmm. If the hand was moved, then it was also moved by something else. Mm -hmm. And so you can just keep going. And I'm using... I'm using Bigger examples, you, you can bring this way down into cellular change. You can mm -hmm. move it all the way out to the movement of the planets, mm -hmm. you know, you, as much as you want. He, he's talking about, you can even talk about change as qualitative change, the change of my hair that's going from brown to white uh, as my children grow older, you know, that type of a thing. <laughs> right. uh, this is all change that, that he's talking right, about, right. so not just local motion. Um, and so, okay, that thing that caused the change is itself moved, therefore it itself must be moved by another. And then comes one of the key premises, you cannot have an infinite regress of moved movers. All right. That is, you can't have, uh, if I was, was going to move this bottle, it, it's just not possible for you to say, okay, that bottle was moved by my hand, my hand was moved by arm, and you just can't go back to infinity. All right. One of the reasons is what we're talking about is the type of movement we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. So one of the critiques that's sometimes brought against this argument is that uh, we, could talk, we can think about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you could conceive of an infinite regress of, of fathers begetting sons with no beginning as far as we can, can think of. Mm -hmm. And Aquinas might say something like, okay. In fact, Aquinas himself, for this argument, uh, is uh, uh, allowing the assumption, though he doesn't believe it to be in fact the case, that the universe is eternal. Mm -hmm. uh, so so he's, he thinks... He's, can, fo he's following Aristotle. He's following that. Aristotle on this yeah. point. But he is he, he will say on this point, and it's worth noting, uh, so nobody goes out and says anything that's not that's wrong about Aquinas. He says, we believe that the universe began in, in time, mm -hmm. had a beginning. Why? Because Genesis 1 says it did. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But he says, uh, even if that's the case, even if Aristotle is right, mm -hmm. that the sensible cosmos is infinite, mm -hmm. it still needs some cause which upholds its very being. Well, now you're getting to the fifth way, aren't you? Uh, still, we're still in the we're first still way. We're still in the first? Okay. Because that series of, of causality mm -hmm. that we're talking about is not a series of what we, what we call accidental causes, where mm -hmm. one thing causes another, which causes mm -hmm. another, which causes another. Mm -hmm. It's an essential causality mm -hmm. where we're the we could put it this way. If I take that water bottle cap and I just hold it here, and I say, okay, what is maintaining that water bottle cap at that exact 
place or location in this room. For those of you listening on radio, he's holding a water bottle cap in his hand right now. Yeah, that's right. Okay. And it's, out of, it's out of place. It's above uh-huh. the ground. It's not uh-huh. lying on the floor. It's naturally uh-huh. drawn towards the floor, you might say. Yeah. But no, it's sitting on my hand. And so you have to say, well, something is maintaining it in being at that place. Right. And, it, and so for it to stay at that place, you have to have that cause taking pl- keeping it there. Mm-hmm. Another example would be music. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm going to whistle, and I won't, because we're on mm-hmm. we're on the speakers mm-hmm. here. But if, if you whistle, that sound that you hear exists only so long as the cause is causing it to be. Right. And so that's a type of causality he's talking about in this argument. Okay. Which means that well, you can't have an infinite regress because you would never have that sound without a first cause. All right. Right. And so that infinite, no infinite regress. Uh, that what, what what that entails is there must therefore be a first unmoved mover. So he's not talking about a horizontal cause way yep. back when. He's talking about a vertical cause upholding That's right. whatever whatever is. Whatever is. And so okay. you could in theory say the unit the sensible cosmos is infinite and he and he would say, "Yeah, so you still need that first unmoved mover holding that infinite series of moved movers in in, in being." All right, let's go back. Let's uh, take your analogy now. You're holding up the uh, the water bottle cap uh and uh, your hand is holding it up. Well, what's holding up your hand? Okay, yeah. you're going to get back to a free will creature with a mind and a soul. Sure. And what would you say to somebody who said, "Well, that's the first cause right there. There's nothing holding up the mind or the soul." Yeah. Would you? What would you? What would so, Aquinas say to that? To a certain extent, you could almost talk about analogously. That's what. That's where we're going with God. All right. Right. And so, but what I would say is, okay. Well, let's think then about the human being. Uh huh. Is the is the human being something which? Um, whose existence, again, is dependent upon itself. That is, it's, it's not, mm. um, it is not itself uh, moved. Okay. And you would have to say, no, even the, even the human intellect is moved. How? How is so, it moved? Uh, my intellect was moved to use that water bottle cap as an example right. through the conversation that we're having. And so right. to a certain extent, I'm moved by something else. Okay. Right. And, and then, then you still have to go back to that question. The client is then going to say, okay, well, what moved that? Right. Okay. And if that thing was moved, then you're going back further. Okay. So, and so his point here is very existential. It's very much on the level of existence. But could you say, or could a critic say, that, no, I'm the master of my own self. As long as I'm alive, I've chosen to hold up that bottle cap right there. I don't need anything holding me up. How would you respond to that? I, I, I would have to kind of go back to his ex, uh, distinction between essence and existence at this point. Okay, meaning? And, and point out that... As a human, as a, as a human individual, or as in fact, as a you can even just put it even more broadly, as a created entity, or, mm-hmm. or even more broadly, just just kind of very a contingent being, mm-hmm. something whose existence is not a part of what it is, mm-hmm. but which is received from without. Okay. Necessarily, you are held in existence. Uh-huh. You, existence doesn't belong to you by nature. Okay. It's not what you are, and so then you have to ask the question: Okay, so what gives you existence, which is itself a form of act? given to you, uh-huh. right? You, you had the, like for example, um, think about your parents. You had, before your parents maybe were married, you had the potency to be. Right. But that only came to be because your parents got married and right. conceived you. Right. And so you are, in fact, exactly what he's talking about in this type of moved mover. You are a mover. Right. But you were given being by something else. Right. So your right. very being is itself dependent upon some other moved mover. Right. And Wait, some other moved mover. Is and some it, other moved mover. Is it... Would it be fair to say in, in Aquinas' thinking that uh, even if you were to assume the atheistic worldview uh, to say that, okay, I'm holding up this water bottle cap yep. right now, yep. and I, I, I make a free will 
decision to do that, but I'm being moved to do that by natural forces to a certain extent, right? There's, there's natural forces that allow me to even hold up this water bottle cap. Sure. There's gravity, there's yep, the yep. strong weak nuclear forces. Yep. They're, they're acting on me right yep. now. Yeah, sure. So could uh, Aquinas then ask the question, well, where do these natural forces come from and what's, yeah. what are holding them up? Yeah, absolutely. You can, you okay. can ask that question. Yeah, sure. Okay. And, and every single time you ask that question, uh -huh. you gotta say, okay, so this is, this is acting on me to allow me to actualize this potential. Uh -huh. Okay, great. So what about that thing? Right. Is that unmoved? Because if uh -huh. it's not, if it's, if it's moved in any way, shape or form that in other words, like let's say it came into being, uh -huh. then we have to ask the question of it, what brought it into being, what okay. moved it? Okay. And, and it, keep in mind when we're using movement here or, or change, we're not just talking about coming into being or going out of being. We're not talking about just local motion. Right. Movement is a term that we can use to talk about all forms of change. Okay. Whether it be, uh, being brought into being from nothing, mm -hmm. a creation ex nihilo, mm -hmm. whether it be conception from parents, whether it be, like I mentioned earlier, the change of color. Or a banana going or, from green uh, to yellow to brown. That's right. Yeah, the maturing okay. of a fruit or something. Yeah, it's, it's not this moving anywhere. This is all anywhere. change. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, not, it's, not, yeah. it's not going from one space to another space. It's just that's right. changing its but, form. Like, for example, if we, we, if we left this water bottle sitting here on the uh, table uh -huh. and just left it there for, for uh -huh. a very, very long time, eventually uh -huh. the water would evaporate. Right. Now, the water bottle is not going anywhere. Uh, the the water is moving. Uh -huh. it, it, it moving. Like right. we don't think about it that way. When we think about moving, we think local local right. motion. We right. think local movement. But okay. when Aquinas is talking in this first way, he's just saying something moves. Okay. Your hair changed color. Okay. Your you got you ate too much food and you got a little bit fat. You know, all of these different things are all changes within you. So what attributes of the unmoved mover fall out of the first way argument? So like, like what do you what do you get? Yeah, sure. How far do you get to what we might might call God? Sure. So we, the conclusion of this argument, there, there, there must therefore be a first unmoved mover. And uh -huh. he, he says, this is what we call God. Yeah. And some people kind of look at this like, I think I have, I would say God is more than that. Right. And Aquinas would say, of course. Yeah. Now let's think about this, right? So first unmoved mover. Well, one of the most obvious things is we get immutability here. To be unmoved is to be immutable. Unchangeable. Unchangeable. Okay. And so we've immediately got that one. Now right. Aquinas, what's fun about this is he'll then go in and ask the question, okay, so what is, for example, time? Now he's working with an Aristotelian conception, which was a, was arguably uh, accepted by um, the church tradition throughout. So, like Augustine, I, I found Augustine using the same definition, All right. um, which essentially is this: time is the measure of movement. Uh -huh. So, if if that's what time is, and God is unmoved or immutable, then God is not measured by time, mm -hmm. and so we say He is eternal. Okay. Uh, we could so we get immutability, eternity. eternality. Yeah, okay. we, could, we could bring perfection in here. All right. All right. So we can say, what what does it mean to be perfect? It's, and we could throw the we could we could say that in general, when we something say something is perfect, what we mean is it it's not lacking anything that it should have based upon its nature, and doesn't have anything more than it should have based upon its nature. It is complete. Mm -hmm. Well, if God is unmoved, then he, there's nothing that can be taken from him nor added to him. And therefore, by definition, he's also perfect. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we could keep going. Arguably, we could probably we can we can easily demonstrate simplicity from this. We can demonstrate uh, well by by the very conclusion of this argument entails that God is pure act. Mm -hmm. uh, we so I've mentioned immutability, eternality, perfection. Uh, we can also go towards divine goodness. Well, how uh, do you get to goodness from okay, this? Okay, so we ask the question: you know, what does it mean for something to be good? Mm -hmm. And we and typically, what we're going to say is that it is uh, desirable. In as in as it as it is based upon its nature, and so what makes something desirable? Usually, it's that it is perfect 
and we perceive it and realize this is something that we want based upon what it is. Mm -hmm. And if God is perfect, then God is, whether he is perceived or not, in fact, good. So do you mean good in a moral sense or not? No, this, this is good in a metaphysical, metaphysical sense. Metaphysical sense, okay. Uh, uh, moral sense of goodness would uh -huh. flow down from that. Okay. So uh, a, 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 you could say something like this, a metaphysically perfect uh, being mm -hmm. who is a, indeed... Uh, you could say, such as God, mm -hmm. who has who is three persons, would would necessarily be morally perfect. Do you or get, morally good? Do you get intellect from this? Because in order to move others, a well, decision needs to be made. So we can actually get intellect from the fifth way. Well, I will get there. So, but do, do we get it from the first way? Um, because how how does it how does the unmoved mover move? Does he have to decide? I don't think to we I don't think we can easily necessarily get intellect from the first way. Okay. There may be a way to do it. I just okay. I haven't seen it in my own right. All right, all right. Let's do I this. I typically then. go to the fifth way for that one. All right, we'll, we'll do that in a minute. But let's do yeah. this. Let's summarize or state state the premises of the argument, sure. just so it's it's people understand what we're saying here. So, so the, again, it's, it's basically something is moved. Okay. And he, when he says that, he just says. The eye attests to it. The senses attest to it. Yeah, just look something around. Just moved. Yeah, just look around. Okay. I mean, look in the mirror. You just yeah. moved. You know? Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> you change your gaze. Oh, something's uh, moved. Uh -huh. you know, you've just proved my first point. So something movement is moved. exists. All That's right. right. Uh, if, if something is moved, it is moved by another. Uh -huh. You can't have an infinite regress of moved movers. Okay. Therefore, there must be a first unmoved mover. What is the biggest objection to this argument? Uh, there are two objections. One is going to be uh, that there can be an infinite regress of moved movers. Uh -huh. Usually, this objection uh, is dealing with what we talked about early. We talked about an essential a series of causality, which uh -huh. is up, you know, you know uh, vertical, right. and, and, and a, an accidental series of causality, which is horizontal. Okay. And usually those those arguments are going to, to, to attack this accidental series. Uh-huh. And the response is usually just to point out, this is not what we're talking about. We're not talking about going back in history. That's right. We're not talking about this That's, chronological yeah, yeah, changing. Yeah, we're, we're talking yeah. about right here, right now, there's That's a right. cause. That's right. There's a mover. You might as well, for this argument, just assume the universe is eternal. So okay. we have a, an infinite series of, of causes, one right after the other, temporally. Okay. Assume that for this argument. Yeah, we, don't, we, realize don't, that. we don't believe it's true. But we don't believe yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah, okay. But, so kind of, kind of get yeah. this idea behind behind what's going on here. Moses Maimonides, in the in the in in the Middle Ages, uh -huh. he, he suggests in his book, uh, The Guide for the Perplexed, he says, well, if the universe began in time, then it's fairly easy to demonstrate that God exists. Uh -huh. So he says, what we're going to do is we're going to assume that the universe did not begin, that it was eternal, and we will still demonstrate that God mm -hmm. exists. Mm -hmm. And that's what Aquinas is doing here. It's essentially a cosmological argument, but it's not the Kalam cosmological argument. It's not the Kalam cosmological argument. We're not arguments. saying that because there was a beginning to time, we need a cause way back in history. That, that's right. What we're saying is, is that... The universe is contingent. Yep. It's been moved. It is by nature yeah. moved. So there's got to be an unmoved mover. That's right. that brought, so this is this is basically Aristotle again. Yeah, yeah. that's right, 100%. Yep, okay. That's right. Uh, and, and, uh, and in fact, interestingly enough, Aquinas did not think that the Kalam cosmological argument worked uh -huh. because he didn't think that you could prove, philosophically speaking, hmm. that the universe had a, a beginning. Now, there I would, are some, I would disagree with that turkey yeah. Aquinas. I think we can. So, some, peop some people <laughs> so, would disagree with Aquinas. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, one one well-known philosopher, Alexander Proust, yeah. uh, would, would disagree with Aquinas, yeah, yeah. But, uh, all while recognizing that you know Aquinas is, this is what Aquinas is working with. Right, right, right. Maybe Aquinas today would be 
convinced otherwise. Okay. Uh, but at this point, this is what he's dealing with. And so he's not he's not thinking of Kalam cosmological argument. Right, okay, okay. All right, let's go to the fifth way. What is the sure. fifth way, David? So with the fifth way, sometimes this is confused with what people call today, like the intelligent design argument. Right. People think about William Paley, for example, right. and this teleological argument. That's not this. That's not what he's dealing with. Yeah. He's dealing here with final causality. And so for anything that is, it, ha it exists for something. Like it's, it's going it, in a direction. It's going in some direction. Yeah. And the direction of that it's going in is typically towards or away from sometimes, uh -huh. but towards its own perfection. Okay. So the, the, the first idea here is going to be everything is necessarily directed towards some end. Okay. And, and now that sounds like a weird way of saying things. And so you want to say, okay, what's, what's going on here? Right. And so you can, you only have to think about something that has a will. In fact, let's just take an acorn, an acorn. Okay. Yeah. What is the end? Or the final cause an of an acorn tree. to right. become an oak tree. Yeah. Yeah. Now the, the acorn is not thinking about that, right? right? No. The acorn is not sitting there on the ground thinking yeah. really hardly. I need to get water, and uh -huh. I need to bury myself down in the soil mm -hmm. and get a little bit of sun going on here. And I need to here. avoid squirrels. And I need to avoid squirrels. <laughs> you know, they're not setting up fences or anything right, around right. squirrels, right? They just they're there, uh -huh. and they have a natural tendency towards. Uh -huh. That's what, that's what this idea is. This this final causality. They, mm -hmm. they move naturally, non volitionally towards some end. Okay. You could talk about the ear, for example. The ear has a natural tendency to receive sound. Right. That's its proper end. Eyes have a, have a proper sure. end of receiving light. Mm -hmm. They're not thinking about it. Mm -hmm. That's what they do. That's but their the natural heart tendency. Pumps blood, right? That's right. Yeah. And so Aquinas then says, okay, that's nice. Um, how is that possible? How is it that something that does not have the ability to will its end, mm -hmm. almost always, he doesn't say always, he says, almost always, drives itself towards that end and achieves it, mm -hmm. right? We're, we're sitting here, we're hearing each other talking mm -hmm. and, and the ear here is not thinking about receiving that sound. It right. just naturally gets it. Right. Sometimes it fails, but for the most part, it drives towards that end. So how is it? And he, he suggests that just like an arrow, in order to be directed towards its target, must be shot by a, vo a voluntary intellectual intelligent being. An archer. So yeah. uh, an entity which does not have volition within it must be directed toward its natural end by an intelligent and volitionary and willing uh, entity. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's going to use that argument and then say, therefore, there must be a cause of the direction of these um, non-intelligent or non-rational beings, there must be a cause of their being directed towards that final end that is intelligent and willing, and that's what we call God. Mm. And so from that, we get this a God, God as intelligent and having a will mm. to, to create and to direct all things towards their natural ends. Mm, mm, mm. Uh, the, the example of the arrow is very helpful. I, I do archery myself. Mm -hmm. And so and if, if I'm going to go out and practice and I'm going to shoot towards a target, I mean, I don't just put my, my, my bow and arrow on the table and then sit back and, you know, wait for that arrow to fly, Right. I will be waiting a long time. Uh -huh. You know, I have, I have to pull that arrow back and I have to let it fly towards that, that target in order to, for that arrow to hit the target. Even if the, you might say the natural end mm -hmm. of that arrow is the target, but I'm the one who directs it there. Mm -hmm. And so that's the basic gist of that argument, which does end up giving us, based upon natural teleology, uh, a designer, a God, who is intelligent and has a will. To, to create. What is the main objection to this argument, David? Uh, you know, honestly, I have not found a whole lot of, I personally have not found a lot of objections to this argument, mm. aside from a lot of today, what people are doing today in contemporary thought is they're just saying, oh, that's just the intelligent design argument. And then throwing all of their arguments against the intelligent design argument against that one. And they almost all inevitably fail.
Because they, it's, not, it's not the same argument. They will try and say that I've heard anyway, there are no final causes. They'll just deny that there are final causes. Yeah. But it seems to me when they do that, yeah. they've undermined science. They, because, they undermine science altogether. Yeah, how can we, how can we detect reliable cause and effect yeah. in the universe yeah. if things aren't going in a direction yeah. because we would never be able to detect an acorn becoming an oak tree if it didn't do that consistently. The entire right? basis was, of medicine is based upon final causality. In what way? So how, how do I repair, how do I go in and, and uh, repair my heart when I have uh -huh, heart surgery? Uh -huh. You've got to know what the heart is for. Right. And if uh -huh. you don't know what it's for, you can't fix it. Uh -huh. It's just like doing plumbing. If I'm going to go in right. and repair this, my sink, because it's got a clog, I need uh -huh. to know what all of those tubes and things right. are for underneath it. Right. If I don't know what they're for, I can't fix them. Mm -hmm. Well, mm -hmm. that, that's implying, a, a, or you might say presupposing, right. a knowledge of final causality, that what it's forness, you could call it, mm -hmm. that, towards, that towards which it nat naturally tends. So even medicine implies that there is final causality. Um, Etienne Gilson wrote a really interesting book, uh, came out years ago, uh, called um, from, from Aristotle to Darwin yeah. and Back Again, uh -huh. in which he points out how Darwin tried to get rid of Final causality, yeah. you, might, you kind of throwing it out the front door right. and final causality snuck in the back door because even in, in Darwinian evolution, you can't talk about it without some form of final causality. In what way? So what is, what is what, even if thinking about just the whole direction of evolution altogether, what is it directing itself towards? Mm -hmm, and the mm -hmm. way that they talk, that evolutionaries, evolutionist biologists talk is that it's a direction towards something. Mm -hmm. uh, we humans are directed towards things. And in fact, I've even, uh, I've, I've noticed Dawkins, I, I can be corrected on this, I'm not a huge reader of Dawkins, mm -hmm. but pointing out that there does seem to be some form of direction in the universe. It appears to be created mm -hmm. by an intelligent designer. Yeah, well, he famously said that um, uh, that nature gives the appearance of design, mm -hmm. and biology gives the appearance of design, but it's just an appearance. It's an appearance. Right? Don't, yeah, look, you right. got to trust me or you're lying eyes. That's exactly right. right. <laughs> that's right, that's right. And so, and so, I mean, I would just kind of point out, well, how do we even understand these things mm -hmm. without final causality? Mm -hmm. How do we do surgery? Without mm -hmm. final causality, how can I? How can a? How can a, a sports doctor mm -hmm. help an athlete repair an injury so that they can go back on the field and play if they don't know what that thing that was injured is for? Mm -hmm. If I don't know what that muscle is for, I can't fix it. Mm -hmm. I don't. I, how would I fix it? I might do the, exactly the opposite thing from what needs mm -hmm. to be done. So what would? Uh, <clears throat> well, maybe Aquinas wouldn't say this. This is a pre-scientific era, but uh, era when he's coming up with these or observing these, yep. and he's trading on he's trading on aristotle as well yes right uh, with, with this uh, with this Absolutely. final causality uh, yep. argument but um i guess uh the skeptic might say well how is god directing an acorn to become an oak tree sure. how does he do that how would you respond uh i think i think what aquinas would probably say is that that's part of the what how god created it to be that is mm -hmm. god gives to it a nature or an essence uh -huh. and it's and that very essence is uh, what we, he calls the formal cause, and right. the formal cause and the final cause are connected. Okay. So a way to understand this might be something like thinking about a house. Uh huh. So what is the, what you, you might ask the question? Okay, what's the final cause of a house? Mm -hmm. Right. And shelter, shelter. home. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, the final cause of the house actually has something to do also with the formal cause. The form, the form of the thing is in somewhat, in some sense, determined by that final cause. Right. I need shelter. Okay, I need well, a roof. I need a roof. I need then, a form. Right? Yeah. Like, well, we've got yeah. snow out here in Denver and uh -huh. you know, further yeah. north in Canada, we've got snow. Well, I need something to protect me from uh -huh. the snow, which uh -huh. means uh, throwing a couple of branches out over top of my head. That might be a good start, but I'm going to be cold really quickly. Uh -huh. And so uh, the, the final cause 
of getting shelter from the, the snow, the rain, the, the, maybe the heat even, directs the formal cause uh, to what it is and how it works. And so there's a connection between the two, mm-hmm. between nature what the thing is mm-hmm. and how the thing what the thing is directed towards and, and so that's where he, he would probably respond to that question is that it's it's a part of what it is Mm-mm. and in fact he would suggest whenever someone looks at something and says what is it each of these four causes so we, i mentioned the formal and the final mm-hmm. we talk about the efficient and the material mm-hmm. each of these causes is going to come out mm. now we don't think about them often as causes right like, but but we always think efficient cause is it. That's you right. Know? Who who knocked the domino over? That's right. That's exactly. Yeah. Right. We think of the who. Right. But he would say, but we can also talk about causality in relationship to matter. Right. What's uh, it? Material maybe, cause. It's so material it's, what's cause. it made of? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. We can think about the efficient we just mentioned. Right. Then there's also the formal and the final. Uh-huh. And each of these causes comes out whenever we ask the question why something is or mm-hmm. what it is. Mm-hmm. And, and and you as soon as you try to get rid of that final cause we all of a sudden end up with a kind of like a nebulous, well, okay, there's a something, but what's it do? Mm -hmm. So this uh, fifth way is still arguing for a vertical, not a historical cause, not a horizontal cause. That's right. Right here and now, ladies and gentlemen, when you think about the scriptures actually talk about this in a certain way, when Paul says, in him, we live and move and have our being, Mm -hmm. and Christ holds all things together, and the writer of Hebrews says, God sustains all things by his powerful word. In other words, God just doesn't create and leave the universe like we might say a deistic God would. God creates the universe, he creates you, and he creates the natural laws that direct the universe and the natures that we have. So we have this consistent causality every single second of the universe. In fact, I use that illustration you mentioned before, David, about music. When a band, when a band is playing music, the band is creating and sustaining the music at the same time. And the God does the same thing. He creates the universe and he sustains it uh, as we're, as we're going. Aquinas, well, Aristotle, Yep. really discovered this, yep. you know, right. 2,400 right. years ago. Aquinas is just baptizing it. That's a way, yeah. way of putting it. Yeah. I mean, he, he, I would say more that he's just, I don't know if I, I like the term baptizing. What I would yeah. just say is he's, he's looking at something that Aristotle discovered uh-huh. and realizing, you know what? This is helpful for Christian theology. Okay. We, we mm-hmm. could take this truth that was uh-huh. discovered uh-huh. and we can use this as Christians to, uh-huh. to demonstrate the truth of the one true God. Uh-huh. And, now, and that's how I would, I would say that. Now, right? ladies and gentlemen, you can see this took a little while to try and okay. unpack it's much more intuitive for a modern audience to say there was a cause way back when. Yep. Boom. Big yep. bang, right? Yep. There's got to be a big banger. Yep. yep. Okay. So when you go on a college campus, it's much easier to say that. And that's a good argument. But this argument yep. isn't doesn't rely on any major empirical import. It doesn't rely yep. on a, a scientific discovery that the second law of thermodynamics expanding universe. Yep. It doesn't rely on any of that. Nope. All it relies on is change occurs. I, I would yeah. I would argue the best way to understand this argument is just to go outside and look around. Mm-hmm. Look at that tree. Mm-hmm. You know, think about your ear. You know, mm-hmm. uh, how do your eyes work? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, think about the growing the, your children as they're growing up. You're seeing right. the first way right there. It, you don't need a great deal of deep scientific mm-hmm. knowledge. You just mm-hmm. need to be able to go out and enjoy God's creation. That's what I would. Now, David, where can uh, our audience learn more about you? Website? Sure. What? What is uh, it? Well, I'm teaching up at Bethlehem, uh, so you can definitely go to their website and find Bethlehem uh, College. Re- yeah, Bethlehem okay. College. You okay. can find a way to contact me there. Uh-huh. Uh, I I also have a couple of books published with the Davenant Press. What's it? What are they uh, called? So I've got a book uh, just came out last year on uh-huh. natural theology, and I discussed some of these issues All in right. that book. Uh, you can check that out. Uh, also, another book, same, same publishing company, Davenant Press, on natural law. Okay. Uh, and so you can get a hold of those. 
Uh, natural law, the natural law, Thomas Jefferson, or natural law like uh, gravity. What do you, which would? Uh, you so here, natural law is, we, you know, we're just talking yeah, about, for yeah. example, uh, final causality. Okay. Right. Natural law is uh, basically how do we know what is good for man? Yeah. And is it possible, in fact, to know what is good for man to do, uh, based upon? Our simple observations of what man is. Okay, so more along the lines of uh, we hold these truths to be self-evident. That kind of natural that kind law, of natural not law. not right. <laughs> gravity is this strong. That's exactly okay, right. Okay, okay, all right, good. Now Haynes, H A I N E S. That's right. All right, David Haynes, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so, do you have a personal website or? I do not. Uh, uh, you could probably find me on Facebook, though. I, I will say I don't uh -huh. accept all people as friends. It'll just be honestly easier to find my website, my, my page on the Bethlehem College okay. Seminary, and contact me through my. So, my do you seminary. have a podcast? I do not. You're one of only six people in the world that don't have a podcast, <laughs> yeah. David. What is going on? <laughs> I'm resisting, <laughs> resisting the future. I guess I don't know. Um, Come on. Yeah, yeah I, I enjoy coming on to events like this, uh -huh. but I, I spend a lot of time uh, teaching them, my students, uh, pouring into their lives, doing right. my own research, and uh, and I enjoy working with guys like you who are doing this type of thing. All so. right. Well, great. Well, thanks for being on the program. Check out David Haynes at Bethlehem College, and check out those two books as well. And we'll see you here next time on the midweek. I don't have enough faith to be an this podcast. And don't forget, by the way, we also have one that comes out on Friday that is also broadcast on radio. All right. See you next time. God bless.